back to the 32nd edition of Rising Tide, the Ocean Podcast. This is David Helvarga. My co-host is, as always, Vicki Nichols-Goldstein. Well, hello again. And today we're talking with an old friend, Ana Blanco, Executive Director of the International Ocean Film Festival, which recently celebrated its 18th anniversary. It had over 80 films from 17 countries, including panels with film directors, marine scientists, and others, all of that migrating online this year because of the pandemic. Anna's been a festival's executive director since 2011. So it's also your 10th anniversary, Anna. Congrats. Let's let's start by asking, what do you study to become the manager of the world's largest ocean film festival? Well, that's a good question, David. Thank you so much for having me. You know, it's not what you study. It's just, I think I just followed my passion. You know, I love the ocean and I um, have always lived near the ocean and I grew up in Lima, Peru. And so my first exposure to the Pacific Ocean when I was, was when I was 11 years old. And I've always been in the nonprofit sector. I, I did have, a, my first career was in financial services and just wasn't fulfilled by it. So that's when I came across the festival in a variety of different ways and just realized that this was something that was more meaningful to me and that I had a lot more passion for wanting to protect our oceans and to raise awareness about our oceans. So in, in, in all honesty, it came a little easy, but it's been a lot of hard work, but it's been a lot of fun as well. Did you have any earlier ocean films that inspired you? really kind of help you think about what do I really love with ocean films? You know, I um, grew up watching a lot of the uh, Jacques Cousteau series and um, watched a lot of the repeats when I was younger. You know, Mutual of Omaha was such a big thing in my house, even though it wasn't specifically about the ocean. But I just remember watching those films and just being inspired by what the natural world could offer us in terms of learning through film and learning through, you know, the TV. I mean, TV was kind of your outlet for learning about wildlife and documentaries. And I certainly grew up in that environment when I was young. I know that uh, Jacques Cousteau specials were huge for generations and I'm old enough where even before Jacques Cousteau, there was Sea Hunt, late 50s, early 60s. As a kid, Lloyd Bridges played Mike Nelson, underwater investigator. And there's a whole year class of, of marine scientists and conservationists today who grew up on Sea Hunt. Although when I finally got certified as a diver, I was sort of surprised that I had so few uh, knife fights when I was underwater. <laughs> But yeah, it was those those early images that really drove us and I guess, you know, created millions of people's passion for the ocean was on TV or in cinemas before they actually got to the shoreline. What about when the Cousteau specials ended? When did film festivals start looking at the ocean? You know, um, that's a good question, David. I don't know the answer to that. Um, you know, we've been in existence for 18 years and we started out um, at the Dolphin Club here in San Francisco. Very interested people, swimmers, people who were in the ocean decided to come together and wanted to start their own uh, film festival. They realized the impact that film could have and just decided that we needed to do a film festival and how it brings people together in celebration, brings community together, um, gives people an opportunity to meet with one another and talk about the issues that are so important to them. So I'm so grateful that they came together because I've been able to see the lasting impact that film has, the lasting impact that it has when you get people together around a film or a specific topic of a film 
and they just have a chance to learn something that's outside of their normal world or realm of learning. Typically, it's a place far, far away that they'll never get to. Or it's a solution-based film that talks about, here's what's working in our part of the world that can be adapted to other parts of the world. So there's just so much content there that I'm just glad that the festival was born and that it has such a long way to go. Um, You know, 18 years is really not that long. And I constantly remind people of that because film festivals here in the Bay Area, for example, Mill Valley Film Festival or the San Francisco International Film Festival, they have both been around for like 45 and 60 years respectively. And as a niche film festival, which focuses solely on the ocean and and everything that has to do with the ocean, it is a niche, but there's so much content and so much subject matter that can be addressed in terms under the title of Ocean Film Festival that there is so much room for growth for us. I've already seen so much in my 10 years that, you know, it's, it's just, we're just going to explode and take, go to the next level because there is so much out there. In your time directing the film festival, have you seen trends, different types of um, issues that were, are unique to our current day that you didn't experience 10 years ago? Yeah, you know, there's certain films that have had tremendous impact. Um, and I know when I say the names, you're going to both recognize them. Um, but trends around specific subject matters more than anything, you know, you'll start seeing films about some issue that's happened in the ocean, and then you'll get three or four of them, you know, like the tsunami in Japan, uh, that happened almost the night that I started at the film festival. And it was March of 2011. And I woke up one morning and all of a sudden, they said there had been an earthquake in Japan and everybody was frightened and we were getting phone calls. Is the tsunami going to reach the aquarium of the Bay where we were hosting the film festival at the time? And is it going to hit? Do we need to cancel the aquarium, the the festival? And I panicked and I thought, oh my God, could this actually be happening? And, but that was the fear at the time. So subsequent to that, two to three years later, we started getting a lot of films about the earthquake, about the debris that was coming and landing in Hawaii and coming into Washington. And it took about three or four years for those films to develop, but you see some trends like that in terms of if there was an event, you know, some special topic that's being covered in the ocean. And then subsequent to that, you'll see several, if not many films about that particular subject matter. So. It's, it's really about subject matter, but it's also um, the one thing I've noticed the most is the quality of the films. Technology has gotten so much better and so many people have access to that technology around the world that the films are just coming in at such a high caliber, high quality, not just audio and visual, but, you know, the graphics, the graphics that are used in films to show, to make a point, especially a scientific point. That trend is getting better and better. And it's, it's just nice to see that so many people have access to great technology, but the technology is really making it possible for filmmakers to tell a better story, to get their story across, to have it be more compelling. And I think that's one trend that I focus on a lot and that I do talk a lot about because it's just night and day from what we used to get. 
I don't know. I guess that's that's your moment that documentaries around the ocean are sort of emerging as as more powerful media than they used to seem to be. That's true. And, you know, the one that I think about a lot is Chasing Coral. You know, Jeff Orlowski's film Chasing Coral and kind of the impact that it had when it first came out a couple of years ago. You know, because so much of it was about what's happening underneath the waterline, which most people don't see. And, you know, it started out, you know, we've always been talking about climate change, but I think in recent years, his film really opened up a lot of people's eyes about climate change and how it's affecting coral reefs and how they're dying off. And that was a really, really big film, so to speak. But you're right, documentaries are really having their their moment, if you will. You know, My Octopus Teacher, I mean, that's such a fantastic film with Craig Foster. I was on a panel for Jackson Wild, which is one of the premier wildlife uh, film festivals in Jackson Hole, Wyoming. And I was a jury member and it was, I was given this long list of films to watch and my octopus teacher was the very first one. And this was, you know, about a year before it was even announced that it was gonna be on Netflix. So I got to watch it. And so I was like, so thrilled because here's an octopus, you know, that's taking center stage <laughs> and just having this tremendous impact in such an emotive and, you know, an emotional connection that people could, could experience. And, and to me, that one was, was just so interesting. You know, we get a lot of people who refer to Jaws and, you know, it had its moment in time, but it, and, and so many people learned about sharks from that film. And I was with you uh, during the Benchley Awards when, when Wendy Benchley was there and she shared with me footage of Peter Benchley uh, and Steven Spielberg when they were making that film. So it's a very young Steven Spielberg, it's black and white, it's very short, but it's, it's such a wow piece of history and such a wow piece of a very famous film. But you know, but so many people see that film or so many people watch my Sea um, uh, Shepherd or they watch, I'm sorry, um, My Octopus Teacher, they watch Sea of Shadows and they just become so enlightened and so enamored with what they've learned because they know that they're not gonna learn it anywhere else or they're not gonna see it anywhere else. There are very few places where you're gonna get that kind of exposure. And that's what makes documentaries and film festivals like ours so special. And it's just too bad the octopus didn't live to see her winning an Academy Award this year. Best documentary. I wanted to go high five, high five, high five, high five, high five. <laughs> that was a fantastic show. I love that one. That was fantastic. Yeah. You've literally seen probably thousands of ocean documentaries and films. What what sort of got the surprised you emotionally or or sort of touched your heart dramatically? You know, um, you know, it's funny, uh, I'm glad you asked that because there's so much variety in the films that we show, whether it's, um, you know, um, coastal cultures, in, you know, that are um, fishing to, to save their lives, if you will. One of the more popular things just because it, it is whales, you know, whales and cetaceans, dolphins, anything to do with a mammal that, or an animal that people can relate to really touches people's hearts. So Whale Wisdom last year by Rick Rosenthal was probably our most watched film. Uh, and that was presented in a virtual presentation. And he's amazing. Um, but the emotional connection that you can have with the film that's talking about whales, they're so big, they're so majestic, they're so human-like. They themselves have so much emotion that you can't help but get connected to them. 
And I think he was able to do that brilliantly through film. You know, another one that had to do with whales and understanding how they live um, underwater was Sonic Sea, which is about noise pollution in the ocean, which I didn't know anything about until I saw the film. But, you know, a lot of it is just from mining in the middle of the, in the ocean and how much noise that makes and how that noise can affect whales and then they can um, they get distracted and they can't their ecosystems don't work and they get lost and a lot of them will um, will beach themselves so a lot of stories like that but just just I mean I, I think there's so many people who connect with the animals and, and the films that they see that um, you can't help but get emotionally attached to what you see. I'm sure you must get thousands of documentaries submitted every year how, how do you select down to your final 90? Well, first of all, we have a lot of fun when we do it. <laughs> we, uh, I have a great team of um, uh, volunteers that watch the films, and we start watching them in September, believe it or not. So we're, it's, it's almost a eight or nine month process to go through the selection. And uh, we have certain criteria that we vote on, whether it's um, the making of the film, whether it's the editing, the audio, uh, the storytelling. Um, whether it is a host of other criteria that we collectively as a group will talk about and evaluate. So a lot of times we go out and pursue certain films that we know are out there and we want to showcase them. Sometimes films just come into us randomly. They hear about the film festival and they submit their films, which is great. Um, but we end up watching all of the films and most of us watch every single one of them. And then we have very lively discussions. And if we have to, you know, we put on, we defend our choice for why we think this film is really good. So it is on a point system, but you know, the subjective matter comes into place and um, it's, it's fun. It is one of the most entertaining parts of the film festival um, to be able to narrow it down and to get everyone's opinions. And it's a really good group of um, different backgrounds, different perspectives, some filmmakers, some scientists, some um, people who have been coming to the festival for a long time. So uh, the jury is, 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 a, is a remarkable group of people that are just very, very committed. And some of them have been with me almost the entire um, 12 years that I've been around. So uh, they have a lot of perspective and a lot of um, historical knowledge about films, which is very, very helpful. It sounds like a great way to spend your year watching ocean films, talking about them and then getting together socially to pick the favorites for the film festival. So if you need a volunteer, you know where to go. <laughs> Thanks, Vicki. I probably do. I probably do. <laughs> And although you're, even before COVID made it into a virtual film festival, you were based in the San Francisco Bay Area, but you've, you've taken the festival on the road. It really is international. Um, tell us where it's gone and why. Uh, well, we've been in Boulder, Colorado, where Vicki is right now. Yay for that. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> and we've, uh, we've done March, uh, the, the March for the Oceans in Washington, D.C. Thank you, David, for that. That's a really screen films with the Washington Monument behind. Exactly. I have fantastic photos with Sylvia Earle on the screen in the Washington Monument at dusk. It was just phenomenal. So thank you so much for that. But when I started, I realized the films needed a longer shelf life. And this was before we found a virtual platform for showing films and decided that we needed to take them to other parts of the world. So we've developed a lot of partnerships with people who have an interest in the ocean, who want to showcase what's happening in the ocean. So 
Uh, we've been to we've been to Russia. We've been to Vladivostok, Russia. We've been to Mallorca, Spain. They have a fantastic film festival there. We've partnered with right now our current one of our current partners is South Korea, a town called Busan, which is um, on the south east shore of South Korea. Uh, Jeju Island is a big influence in South Korea, so we get films about Jeju Island, about the Hyena women who who dive. Um, book I just read about them. Yes, yes, I just picked it up. And they're on their fourth year. And and what I learned, I was there two years ago for it. And I learned that for them and for some countries that are surrounded by ocean, there just isn't a knowledge base of understanding how important the ocean is to the people that live there. And, and that's what they are trying to do. They're trying to educate their constituency to, to say, you know, the ocean is beautiful. It's for recreation. It's for food, which is their basic knowledge base. But it also has all of these other benefits. And let's do that through film and have fun doing it, basically. So we've gone to South Korea. We also have a great partnership with Kiel, Germany. Kiel is a, a port city in the northern Part of Germany about an hour from Hamburg and um, they are our sister city so we created a sister city partnership about four years ago and now they have a very thriving ocean film festival. You also have an educational element where you work with school children tell us about that. The kids are great you know most kids in schools their challenge is transportation and you know we might have this great thing we want to go do outdoors or at some location but getting money for school buses was one of our biggest challenges. So now when we do our fundraisers, our focus is to raise money for the kids to be able to come to the theater and see the films in person. And, um, you know, they, we get scientists, we get teachers, we get the National Park Service to come in and just talk to these kids and let them ask their questions. So it is one of the most rewarding experiences to walk into a room full of, you know, middle school and high school kids and they're learning about the ocean. So um, that's been really, really fun. Anna's talked about some of the films that really impacted her. Sea Hunt probably helped define my life and Whale Rider and more recently documentaries like Sea of Shadows. So what are your, Vicky, what are your favorite ocean films? Oh my gosh. Well, I was seriously impacted by The Cove. That was pretty remarkable. And I actually worked to get the Cove into some schools here in Boulder. Actually, Louis was here as well. Um, but that was really remarkable that something happening behind the scenes could be so impactful. Um, so that that was a biggie. Um, Goyas, who lived in Boulder at the time he made it, directed yes. it, won an Academy Award. Exactly. So, um, and yeah, and actually Louis was involved when we brought you Anna in for one of our, one of the festivals making waves earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I think I, there are so many that it, it just is blurring in my mind, but what one of the things that really has inspired me recently was David Attenborough's film, his last sort of film saying, I've been studying the ocean and the planet for so many years, and this is my message to you. And the message was, we've impacted the planet. We have some time to turn it around and let's get busy. 
So I was really, I was really touched by that. One that has such an impact on me personally was Chasing Thunder. And, um, you know, let's give them a little bit of a plug. They're going to be on Discovery um, on World Ocean Day, which is June 8th. They have finally gotten into uh, the world of TV. But we probably showed Chasing Thunder three or four times here in the Bay Area. I got to spend a lot of time with Paul Watson, had a wonderful interview with him and had him at two of our screenings. And just what a remarkable individual in terms of um, creating an organization that is just so interested in doing something to help protect the oceans. Granted that some people might not agree with how they do their things, but they are making a difference. And Chasing Thunder was just uh, a remarkable experience for our audiences. And well, again, and our, our friend Mark Benjamin, who directed it, it was one of the most right. maritime feeling. I mean, I've spent a lot of time on ships, but this is the story of, of Sea Shepherd basically chasing a pirate fishing vessel um, from Antarctica for a hundred days over thousands of miles of shifting ocean and dangerous conditions. And, uh, and it was a kind of victory and surprise ending that I won't spoil, but uh, boy, what, a, what a, a great film to just give you the sense of what it is to be at sea. We're not all privileged to have the opportunity to go body surfing or scuba diving or, or go out to sea uh, uh, as reporters or mariners, but your festival makes that connection for people and, and for young people may start them on a whole lifetime of discovery. And, and there's so many other films too, you know, there's all the documentaries, there's ones that are talking about taking action, um, doing something to preserve our oceans. And then there's those that are simply, let's just sit back and have fun. And let's just learn about the ocean, whether it's surfing or whether it's sailing, you know, the weekend sailor, about the first uh, Whitbread around the world um, sailing competition that was won by a Mexican sailor. I mean, it goes down in history as just such an entertaining historical account of, of a sailing trip, you know, for example. But there are so many that are just, let's just enjoy the ocean. Let's, let's celebrate, you know, all the little fishies and all the, the, the splendor that there is in the ocean. And, and a lot of those come in the form of animation, you know, one of the best animated films we've ever shown was Ain't No Fish to the tune of Hoagy Carmichael's um, music. And that has gone, I mean, we have shown that one to pieces uh, because the message is the same and it's claymation, but it, yet it's, it's uplifting and it, and it has a message and you just walk away with, with such a good memory of, of a great film. So we're already planning for our four day in April. We've already got the confirmed dates and we're also gonna continue to do a hybrid presentation of the film. So we are, uh, we're just gonna keep giving people the films that they wanna see and, and tell the stories that need to be told. So, and, and if people way, want to get involved in April 2022, how do they get in touch? Our website is intloceanfilmfest.org. We have lots of volunteer opportunities. We have lots of opportunities to submit a film. Our student film competition will be in its 11th year. And so, uh, you know, we are still, we're, we're already starting to plan for April 2022. 
22. So thank you so much, Anna, for sharing your time and, of course, for your work with the uh, International Ocean Film Fest. And uh, we'll look forward to the next one. Thank you, David. Thank you, Vicky. Thank you so much for yeah. having me. Thank you so much, Anna. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. And it's it's been too long. So it's great having you on the show. Rising Tide is a production of Blue Frontier with hosts David Helvard and Vicki Nichols-Goldstein and with support from Natasha Benjamin and Ellie Curlow. Rising Tide's editing services and additional technical support are provided by Studio Kate May of San Diego, California. The theme song is written and performed by Ethan Kenvark. You can find Rising Tide, the Ocean podcast at www.bluefront.org or download it anytime from Apple, Google, or Spotify. Off in the salty ocean, off where the waves roll free The sparkling water rises, then crashes to the sea Out amongst the breakers, you'll have no need to fear It's true, it's the blue frontier Tear, tear, tear Off in the salty ocean, off to the blue frontier Sparky, come here, buddy. Sparky, there you are. Good boy, Sparky.